quickly this morning before we jump into our last topic, the subject of how to handle fear in a biblical way, address a, a question that was asked last night that I said I wanted to think through a little more thoroughly. And the question basically was this. If you are angry and it's something that God would permit you in general to be angry about, but then you find out that maybe the person that you were angry at who did it didn't actually do it or the thing didn't actually take place that you were angry about, then was that a wrong anger? Well, what I want to point out here from the scriptures today is that if if that was a person and you believed that they had done something unrighteous, and if they had, it would have been okay for you to be angry in a righteous way, but then you find out they did not do what you thought, the scriptures in Matthew chapter 5 says, don't be angry with your brother without a cause. So, you had been angry without cause. You didn't have just cause to be angry against your brother because your brother did not actually do what you're angry about. So, look at that for just one moment. Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus, here, the Sermon on the Mount, in this section, is talking about murder. Beginning with verse 20, I say unto you that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So, if we are angry without just cause, then we have sinned. And we're in in danger of the judgment as spoken of here. There's a general principle regarding anger as well that would be very helpful for us to understand and to be brought out. And it would fit uh, fairly well under the T of making sure we got them right, time frame. Not only... Is our anger to be short-lived? We'll also be slow to become angry. Look over at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. In the Proverbs, chapter 18, it says that he who speaks before he hears the whole matter, it is a folly and a shame unto him. And it also goes on to say there in chapter 18 that the first one who pleads his cause or his case seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. So what's the admonition to us? We are not to make snap judgments. We're not to be quick to judge and then become angry and then find out later, whoops, you know what? I misjudged you. So... If we do that and make a judgment without 
hearing all the matter, it is a folly and a shame to us, and we have become angry without a cause at our brother, and therefore that would be something that we would need to confess unto the Lord, and if we were angry openly with a brother and rebuke them without cause, then we would need to confess our faults unto them and seek their forgiveness for wronging them. I hope that uh, is helpful in answering that question. But now let's turn to the subject of overcoming sinful fear. We've been talking about who we are in Christ Jesus and then walking worthy of the calling with which we're called. So the theme for the week has been walk worthy. And so we've been looking at very practical issues, things that we face every single day of our lives. We've seen the doctrinal basis for who we are in Christ, right? Our identity in Christ. And then we've talked about our heart issues and what's going on in our hearts and have we erected idols in our lives. We've talked about then also a biblical method of change and that process of progressive sanctification. We've talked about guilt and what do we do with guilt in a biblical way. We've talked about contentment and that godliness with contentment is great gain. And we've talked about anger and how do we deal with problems of anger in a righteous and a biblical way. So then let's consider finally this subject of fear. Fear, like anger, is not sinful in and of itself. There could be Good times to fear, right? There are people that you should fear, right? Somebody omniscient, omnipresent, almighty come to mind that we're supposed to fear. (laughs) We're supposed to fear the Lord. And yes, that is a reverential trust of Him, but also it's a fear of His fatherly displeasure. So there are times when we should fear. And even uh, kind of a, a practical example of that would be that fear can be something even beneficial that motivates us to action. What if there's a loved one that's in danger and we have that surge of adrenaline and our eyes get wide so that we can see more clearly and then we take action and that response of fear in that situation, fear of somebody whose life is in danger leads us then to jump out in the road and pull them out of the road or kick a hand grenade out of the way. We had one person here that had used a hand grenade we talked about last night. Afterwards, I was talking to Terry. She said her son actually is in the military and his job is to train people how to use hand grenades. And she said that he has seen people freeze up in fear and just drop the hand grenade and there it is right at their feet and he has to run over and kick that hand grenade out of the way after yelling fire in the hole well he may have a little a a flash of a a fear response that leads him to action there should be he should be afraid there is a deadly item sitting right there and it's getting ready to blow somebody up right okay so fear in and of itself is not sinful but fear like anger if it flows from or if it leads us to commission or omission of the commandments of God, then it is sinful. If it flows from sinful thinking or if it leads us 
to either violate the commandments of God or not to do something that God requires of us, then it is very clearly sinful. But once again, we're going to dig into that a little more and look at some things that will help us to understand that and some specific instances of when that fear crosses the line. I'm going to be uh, drawing quite heavily here from a booklet on fear that Lou Priolo put together. Very thankful for some of his insights and we're going to go to the scriptures to see that these are true. First of all, consider this. Fear is sinful when we fear what God forbids us to fear. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Fear is sinful if we fear something that God says, Thou shalt not fear. What has been one of our memory verses this week, and it was read to us this morning. What is something that, and we should say who, should we not fear in an inordinate way? And I'll explain what that means in just a moment. What have we read from Matthew chapter 10? Right. So we should not fear in an inordinate way men and women who have the power to destroy our bodies. What was the context there? Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out and you are going to be persecuted. They're going to drag you into the courts. They're going to beat you. Some of you will even be killed. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but rather fear God. Fear the one who has the the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. That's not the devil. The devil can't cast anybody into hell. He himself will be cast into hell in that final glorious day. So we're not to inordinately fear people. What do I mean by inordinately? It is proper to have a healthy fear or respect for the authorities that God has put in place such as the civil authorities. And we should have a healthy fear that if we violate the law, that we will be punished by the civil authorities. That in and of itself is not a, a sinful fear because God has given them authority and he says that the rulers are his ministers and he has put them in, in place. Likewise, in the church authority, it is not wrong to have a healthy fear of living unrighteously and being subject to the discipline of the church. And in family authority structure as well, it is not wrong for children to have a healthy fear of being disciplined by their parents for sinful actions. But in an ordinate fear would be a fear that ceases to be a healthy fear and it becomes a consuming and a debilitating fear in a way that God has forbidden us in regards to fearing men. Look over at Proverbs 
says here, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So there we see even a put off and a put on. What do we do? Put off the fear of man because that will bring a snare. That's the, the practical consequences of the fear of men as we become ensnared in some way. But what should we put on? Trust in the Lord. He is our refuge and strength. He is our strong tower. We should put off fear of man and put on trust of the Lord. If we fear God, says Priola, we will desire to please God. If we inordinately fear men, we will inordinately desire to please men. We will be easily tempted to love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. So, by way of examining your own hearts, are there people in your life that you excessively fear? If so, consider whether or not you are fearing men more than God and whether you are truly trusting God with your life, with your health, with your safety, with your soul. Okay, so what is the flip side of fearing man? It's fearing God. It's trusting in God with a reverential trust, but it's also having that healthy fear of Him that even includes a fatherly displeasure. So that's how we combat that. And the scriptures teach us that we need to fear the Lord. That is throughout the scriptures, that concept of fearing the Lord and having the fear of the Lord. But let's just ask one practical question regarding that. What is a way that we can learn the fear of the Lord? Let's look at Deuteronomy 31, verses 11 and 12. Considering that concept of fear of the Lord, are you in awe of God? Are you in awe of the Almighty? If you struggle with being filled with an awe of who God is and just being overwhelmed with His awesomeness, then you need to know Him better. Maybe you're not a believer and that's why you don't understand and aren't impacted by the awesomeness of God. Then you need to know Him truly and pray that He will regenerate your heart. But maybe you're a believer but yet you don't live with a knowledge of the awesomeness of God. Then you need to know Him better. And how do we learn to know Him better? Primarily, it is through His Word. Look at Deuteronomy 31, 11 through 12. When all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which He shall choose, thou shalt read this law, the Word of God, before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and they and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God, 
and observe to do all the words of this law. On a practical level, if we want to increase in the fear of the Lord, then we need to be in the word of the Lord. And we need to know Him and see His character displayed in His essence and His glory and His mighty works throughout history. Have you ever been in awe of something? Have you ever been in a situation that you were just so overwhelmed with awe it almost brought you to your knees or maybe even it did bring you to your knees? You know, the one time I visited the Colorado Rockies, I'd never been there before, never seen these mountains, and I end up in a little town and I'm surrounded by four 14,000 plus peaks. And I mean, I literally was overwhelmed with a sense of awe, almost to the point of wanting to get down on my knees because the beauty, the majesty, the height, the massiveness just filled my soul. Have you ever been in awe of the Almighty who created those mountains with but a word and created universes of mountains with but a spoken word? If you're not in the Word of God and you're not seeing His glory portrayed, then it will be very hard to be in awe of who He is. And when we are in awe of Him and His glory and majesty, the fear of men diminishes. So develop the fear of the Lord. And that will help us to combat the fear of men. And, you know, as we consider two other things where it's sinful to fear and how do we combat that, let's remember this, that we talked about putting on and putting off. We talked about habits. These truths, if they go deep into your souls, and if God works in you by the power of the Holy Spirit will help you to overcome fear. But if you struggle with fear and if you have struggled with fear for a long time and sinful thinking in a fearful way, don't look at this as a magic formula and that somehow you're less than righteous and less than spiritual if you don't think on one of these principles and walk out of here and never have a fearful, sinful, fearful response again. We're creatures of habit. And it it takes time. Very rarely does God give someone absolute, complete victory over a sin and they're no longer struggling with that sin whatsoever. Very rarely. Yes, by His grace that does happen, but we shouldn't expect that to be the case. That God's automatically just going to somehow zap this out of us and it's going to be gone. We need to consider that it's going to be a battle and we have to fight. We have to wage war against sin. John Owen, the great Puritan, said, we must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. It's a battle. It's a process. So don't think that this is is something that is just going to magically change us. These truths need to be applied in our heart and in our practice and in our thinking. We have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and that may mean 
that you have to 60, 70, 100 times a day focus on the fear of the Lord. Put off the fear of men and focus on the fear of the Lord. And the word of God which gives you direction in how to fear God and be in awe of Him properly. Let's consider another way that fear can become sinful. This ties in with our discussion about idolatry, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in this one, but fear is sinful when it is rooted in the loss of some cherished idol. If we fear losing an idol, then that's clearly a sinful fear. Our fear is flowing from sinful desires and sinful motivations, isn't it? What might that look like practically? Well, there's a scriptural example in John chapter 12, verse 42, where it says that many of the rulers believed in Christ, but then they feared to own him publicly. They feared to acknowledge him publicly because they feared being cast out of the synagogue because they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. You see, they had an idol in their heart. They loved the praise of men and they loved the position which they had. And so, that fear led them to not proclaim Christ Jesus publicly. So they had an idol. Let's look at some things real practically here. Considering those idols of the heart and how people will often respond with a fearful response if they have an idol in the heart. Those who lust after money will typically fear what? Poverty or being poor, right? So this is a diagnostic tool. If you, if you fear being poor, then you need to look inside and see if you have an idol, namely the love of money and the lust of money. Here's another one. Those who lust after approval typically fear what? Rejection. So if you fear rejection by people, look inside your heart and see if you have an idol there, namely the desire to please men more than the desire to please God. Those who lust after control typically fear losing control or being out of control. So if you are fearful about not being in control of a situation, look inside your heart and see if you have an idol there. Namely, the lust after being in control rather than a trust in the sovereignty of God who is in control of all things. Those who lust after intimacy with human beings, having those close relationships and that intimacy with human beings typically fear Loneliness. They fear loneliness. But we have a God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And yes, it's good. We need to be with people and be encouraged by people. But we need to examine our hearts. Do we have an idol? Those who lust after pleasure 
typically fear boredom. You know, there, there are people out there who have committed atrocious crimes, or acro- uh, atrocious crimes, <laughs> atrocious crimes, and when asked, why did you do it? They said, I was bored. I was bored, and this was a thrill. If you fear boredom, you need to look in and see if you have a lust after pleasure in your heart. Those who love their own life typically fear losing it. And so, they may not put themselves in a situation where for the glory of God their life is at risk because they fear losing their life. So, fear is sinful when it's rooted in the loss of some cherished idolatrous desire. So how would we address that? We've looked at a whole message on the subject of idolatry. And what we've got to do is identify the idol. Then we have to identify the scriptural truth that will help us to overthrow that idol. And then we use the put-on-put-off principle and we put off that idolatrous desire and we replace it with the truth of righteousness that combats that sinful desire. So if we find the fear of man in our heart, then we combat that with the fear of God. And we learn who God is. And we study about God's nature and His character and His faithfulness to His people and His awesomeness. And we pray that He would help us not to fear men, but to fear and honor Him above all. So we need to identify and remove idolatrous lust from the heart. John Corbell said, the more you are mortified, and that's a big word for killed, (laughs) the more you, your sinful self, is mortified, the less you will be terrified. It is the strength of our affections that puts so much strength into our afflictions. So when our desires are right and our affections are in the right place, that will give us strength in the midst of our afflictions and our trials. Considering again a list of things that might be idols and they lead to an inordinate fear, here are a few of those. I want to be healthy. Some people may have as an idol, I want to be healthy. And it leads them into fear and being consumed by fear. Maybe they truly have an illness, or maybe they fear becoming ill. How about this? I want to be safe. I want to be clean. Can you be consumed by the fear of coming in contact with dirt and with filth? And people become obsessed with that? It's because they have an idol in their life, and that idol is they want to always be clean. What about this? I want to be comfortable. Or I want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to be just tripping along with giddiness all day long. So preacher, don't preach anything that's going to convict me in my very soul. So there's no way I'm ever going to confront somebody because maybe then they're, not, they're going to be upset with me and they're going to put a shroud over my giddiness. Is it wrong to be happy? 
No, delight yourself in the Lord. We should be joyful people as Christians. We should be. We're sinning if we're not joyful in the Lord. It doesn't mean, though, that a constant level of giddiness. But if we had no joy in the Lord, then we aren't the Lord's. If it never happens, and if and we can fall into the sin of not having that right joy, but we can have an idol. I want to be happy. I want to enjoy myself. I want to feel important. I want to have a good reputation. I want to be successful. I want to be perfect. I want to have wealth. And the list goes on and on and on and on of things that become an idol. So, fear is sinful if it is rooted in the loss of a cherished idolatrous desire. We need to identify the desire and combat it with the truth of the Word of God. And as we talked about with guilt, we need to acknowledge our sin. We need to confess it to God and the appropriate people. We need to make restitution. We need to restore if that's necessary. We need to accept the forgiveness of God. All of those things apply there. Another, then, the Bible commands us that we're supposed to love God and love our neighbors. So fear is sinful when it is rooted in selfishness rather than rooted in love. When fear flows out of a selfishness rather than love, what does it tell us in 1 Corinthians 13? That love seeketh not our own. Charity, love, true biblical love does not seek her own. And that is speaking about her own private, individual pleasure at the expense of others. doesn't seek her own things at the expense of God's, of being obedient to God's commandments. And at the expense of caring for the needs of others and considering the things of others more highly than oneself. And so, there's an interesting correlation there's an interesting connection between fear and selfishness. People who are fearful are necessarily selfish people. If they are fearful, they're necessarily selfish. And you might say, oh, no, no, well, I'm fearful about my son or my daughter. I'm, I'm just always fearful that they're going to be killed, they're going to be destroyed. I'm not selfish about myself. It's them that I'm concerned about. Oh, but did you notice the M-Y word in there? I'm concerned about my son or my daughter and worried about them being hurt. You see, people who are fearful are necessarily selfish. Here's a, a powerful principle that the Scripture gives. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter four. The principle is in verse eighteen. The context here is a discussion about judgment at the coming of Christ in that judgment day, and not fearing being judged if you are in Christ and if you are living a life which shows evidence of fruit of salvation. 
Anybody have a fear of small rodents? <laughs> we'll talk about whether that's sinful or not based upon how you respond and whether you hurt somebody trying to get out the door. <laughs> so the context here in First John is a specific fear. It's the fear of judgment. But there's a general principle which is given here which I think applies to fear in general. And there are places like that in the Word of God where there's a specific context, but then there will be a principle contained within that context which is a broad principle and applies even more broadly than the immediate context itself. And that principle is this. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment, he that fears is not made perfect in love. So that general principle is that perfect love casts out fear. Someone who has a perfect love, a righteous love, a godly love for God and for others will not be a fearful person. If someone is absolutely, completely, under all circumstances, and we're sinners, so this is hypothetical, right? perfectly loving God and perfectly loving someone else, there can be absolutely no sinful fear. Period. Because perfect love casts out fear. There can be no sinful fear whatsoever if someone is perfectly loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving their neighbor as their self. So, a key then is if our fear is rooted in a selfishness is to learn to love God and to learn to love others righteously. Love is being more concerned with what you can give than what you can get. Priolo mentions here. Selfishness is being more concerned with what I can get rather than what I can give. Fear is often more concerned with what I might lose than with what I can give unto others. So what does that look like? That looks like the fearful person in their heart. And have you ever thought these things? The fearful person is always concerned about, I wonder what he'll think of me. The loving person is thinking, I wonder what his needs are. The fearful person is thinking something like, I better not let him get too close to me. Because then he's going to see my flaws or she's going to see my flaws for whatever reason. The loving person says, maybe I can be a good influence on him. The fearful person says, if he gets too close, he'll realize I'm not perfect and then he'll reject me. The loving person says, what matters is not what he thinks of me, but how I can minister to him. The fearful person says, I've got to keep him from finding out about my problems. The loving person says, I wonder if he has any problem." I can help him solve God's way. Fearful person says, I'll probably make a fool of myself. The loving person says, if I make a fool of myself, so be it. I'm more concerned about meeting his needs than I am about what he thinks of me. Think about that concept for a minute of love casting out fear. Just in a very practical way. 
if you have if you have a fear of going across bridges, I don't know if anyone here does, but there's some people that so fear driving across going across the bridge that they will drive 50, 60, 70 miles out of the way to avoid driving over a bridge. I've heard of an actual example where there was a woman who feared driving across bridges and so she did exactly that. She went out of her way. But then she got a call that her daughter, I believe it was, was gravely ill. And she took the shortest route there and she drove across the bridge without even thinking about it. What was going on? Her love for her daughter cast out the fear. Okay, what if you have a fear of heights and there's one of those forestry observation towers, maybe about 50 feet tall, and it's got the steps that go up to it, you know, so it's not like, you know, you're climbing a sheer rock face which maybe you don't have the skill to do, but you know, you've got the skill to go up steps. What if, what if somebody put a briefcase with $10 million and $100 bills at the top of that tower? Do you think you could overcome your fear of heights to get up there and get a hold of that briefcase? Probably pretty likely, don't you think? What happened? Your love overcame your fear. <laughs> You, you wanted that money. You desired that money a whole lot more than you feared that height. And so, boom, there you went. So what do we need to do to combat fear? Perfect love casts out fear. We need to develop our love for God in obedience to Him. And we need to develop our love for others and be more concerned about them than concerned about ourselves. And then that perfect love will cast out fear. These are all things that I've had to really apply in my own heart, in my own life. And I still battle. You know, we all battle against sin. We're sinful, fallen creatures. And we battle, but I pray by God's grace that we will move forward in these things to find victory. So, fear is sinful then if we are fearing something God forbids us to fear and we need to develop the fear of the Lord fear is sinful if it is rooted in some the loss of some cherished idolatrous desire we need to identify those idols and replace them with the truth and true worship of God from our hearts and desire to glorify him above all and then fear is sinful if it's rooted in selfishness and we need to put on the perfect love which casts out fear and who is the example of perfect love. Who is the example of the one who never sinfully feared our Lord Jesus Christ? Think about the things that Jesus encountered where he may have been tempted to fear. But yet because of his perfect love in his Father and because of his perfect love for others, Jesus Christ could not sinfully fear. And remember, if we are in Him, His victories are our victories. So just, I mean, I just went through, I've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke, and so one day, and I was only a few chapters in the Gospel of Luke, I just started listing things as I was considering the subject of fear, and this was quite some time back, that 
where Jesus could have been tempted to fear, but he overcame that fear. What about even when he was 12 years old, and there he is as a little boy, sitting in the temple with all of the intellectual big shots of his day? Could he have been tempted? You 12-year-olds here. Maybe some of you 12-year-olds like the Bible and you like to think about theological truth. You know, what if, what if you're in a group of the most prominent, well-known theologians and pastors in the entire world and there you are and you're, and you're talking to them and asking them questions and they're listening to your answers? Would, would you be tempted to be fearful to the point of freezing up? <laughs> Because you fear them and you fear what they're going to think of you, the whole nine yards. Maybe Jesus was, but did he respond in sinful fear? Absolutely not. He overcame that fear. What about the fear of the water? Jesus was baptized. He went out into the water. And then consider that baptism. You realize Jesus, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, was identifying with sinners. John was baptizing a baptism of repentance. Those people that were coming to him were confessing their sins. They were admitting that they were sinful and they were being baptized. Did Jesus have any sins to confess? No, he didn't. Could he have been tempted to fear being obedient to his father because he he said it is... You know, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So he's saying, I must do this. It is righteous. Could he have been tempted to say, well, well, but if I do this, then people are going to look on and they'll think that I'm a sinner. And so I shouldn't do it. It is possible. But he was obedient to his father. And he always obeyed his father regardless of whether people would misunderstand him or misrepresent him. His victory is our victory. And through him, we have power to battle against such temptations. <laughs> what about Satan? with Satan in the wilderness? <laughs> Could Jesus have been tempted to fear? I mean, this isn't, this isn't, little, this isn't a little uh, underling demon. He's going up against his arch enemy. And he's 40 days without food. He is physically weak, almost to the point of death. Could he have been tempted to fear? Yes, but did he give in to that temptation? No, never did he give in to temptation. He could have feared, been tempted to fear sickness, but yet he healed those that came to him. What about public speaking? Is that, a, is that a fear? Can that be a sinful fear? Yes, it is. If something needs to be said publicly and we are so overcome with fear that we refuse to do it, then we can sin in our fear of speaking publicly. Jesus could have been tempted with that. Could he have given in and did he ever give in to that? Absolutely not. He stood up in his hometown synagogue and he spoke inflammatory words to them. And they wanted to go throw him off the cliff afterwards. What about the fear of rejection? Oh, that could have happened. 
What about the fear of pain and of suffering? There's our Lord Jesus. There He is in the garden and He is tempted. He is battling in His very soul to the point of sweating drops of blood. But what words prove to us His absolute righteousness not my will, but your will be done. And so the temptation to, to fear in an unrighteous and ungodly way the suffering that he would undergo, both physical, but we know that that pales in comparison to what he would suffer when his own father would turn his back on him and pour his wrath upon him for a time. Jesus gloriously triumphed over that. And it's through that work that we have been made right with God according to Christ. And so His victory is very much our victory. And through His triumph, we also then can battle against temptation. And we can have victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray that these things have been challenging to you this week, that they've been helpful, that the Lord will use the truths from His Word and drive them into your hearts. I do want to mention once again that I've been recording these messages and they will be posted on sermonaudio.com, Lord willing. And you can look up my name there or you can look up my church's name, Summit Sovereign Grace Baptist Church and we'll have these listed there in the series of the youth camp. And if you're interested in accessing those for any reason, those will be there. Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus. Thank you for his triumph over every temptation to sinfully fear. May we be in awe of Him and what He has done. May You give us a love for You, dear God, and a love for our Lord Jesus that drives away the demons of fear in our lives. That drives away that sinful fear which flows from those sinful attitudes of our heart or would lead us toward behaving sinfully against you. Give us grace, dear God. Thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for loving us, for remembering that we are but dust. Pray, Father, that you will help us to live for your glory above all. May that be the consuming desire of our lives and our hearts. And may our actions then flow from that desire. And may we live righteously before you. May we walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Pray in Jesus' name.